0: change your mind, and you'll change everything. Welcome to Nathan's School of Thought. Hello, my friends. Today is kind of a big deal to me. Two days ago, we celebrated the birthday of my father, and I'm going to talk about that in just a minute, and the birthday of my sister-in-law, whom I dearly love. Today is also really important because this is the one-year anniversary of when I began this podcast. As of this morning, the podcast hit 2,500 downloads. It's kind of nice to get an even number like that right on the one-year anniversary. This is the 50th episode. I took a two-week hiatus to certify in neurolinguistic programming, but other than that, this has been a weekly occurrence for a full year. I thought a lot about what to talk about today and what's most important, and it reminded me of something that I say to my kids all the time, and by all the time I mean ad nauseum. I always say, people matter most. Because two days ago was my dad's birthday, I've been thinking a lot about his life, its effect on me, and possibly its effect on you. I know that several who have listened to this podcast are former students of his. By the time he retired, he had taught 19,000 students just in the public schools alone. But his professional accomplishments, while stellar, aren't the things that impress me most and have made him the central hero figure of my life. As I visited with him a couple of days ago, I was reminded of some of those experiences. I can remember going out the door when I was in first grade and helping him irrigate the fields near our home. He would put on his irrigation boots and his hat and his coat, and I would do the miniature versions of the same, following him around and probably talking his ear off about, you know, there was a caterpillar right there, and why is the water this deep, and what does irrigation mean, and all that kind of stuff. First graders ask questions like that. I remember going hunting with him one day, pheasant hunting and he had a hard time getting any pheasants because I kept talking. (laughs) I was shy around everyone else, but my dad was my dad. I remember when he brought a gunny sack home one day, and it was wiggling. Not long after I saw the wiggles, I heard a very distinctive sound. He had gotten two little wiener pigs for my brother and I to raise. I loved my pig. I probably loved the bacon, too, at some point, but I don't remember being involved in the trauma of the transition. As I got a little bit older, I realized that a lot of people rate their parents or their uncles and aunts or the people that they admire by their income. We didn't have much of that. I was the oldest child. Well, I still am. It's not like I'm dead. As the oldest child, I would sometimes overhear conversations between my parents as they would worry back and forth to each other. About where the food was going to come from and how they're going to pay the bills. I began to think that that must just be part of every family's life, wondering how to pay the bills. Dad worked really, really hard, but he was a school teacher in a district that didn't pay a lot. And he had, you know, eventually six kids to feed. Money was always tight, but money wasn't what the focus was. The focus was on us. My dad played with me. From when I was very young, I remember him playing with me. We would go out in the yard and he'd wrestle with us. As I got older, we would go out and have family softball games together. Those continued clear up into adulthood, and my children got to participate in those, especially on the 4th of July. We'd get together and play softball until we were too tired and too hot and too thirsty to play anymore, and then we'd play a little more. And then we'd go in and get a drink of water and something to eat. Dad loved to play. One of our favorite games was called Anti-I-Over. Now, some of you have probably never heard of that, but it's an old game where you divide into two teams. One team has a ball, usually something like a tennis ball, and yells, Anti-I-Over, as they throw it over the house. The other team tries to catch the ball, conceal the one holding it, and then run around the house and tag... The other team members with the ball. That means that they have to hold or deceive or reroute everybody on the other team until the one holding the ball can tag them, and then they are on that team. It's a pretty fun game. We had a big house, it was a 3,000 square foot log home. My dad had gotten the idea that he and I, who was in eighth grade, and my brother, who was in seventh grade, could probably build a house. And so we did. We hauled logs from the mountains and built a house. I've talked about that a little bit on another podcast episode. We played hard, and we worked really hard. When I was in seventh grade, my dad went to Brigham Young University to work on his master's degree. As a 12-year-old, I was again aware of the conversations around money and how to pay for school and housing and everything else but I was more interested in the conversations about whether or not I had to babysit because as the oldest of six, I didn't always like that. But I remember one week running out of money and running out of food. My mom was usually very patient in affliction and we did have a big 100-pound sack of wheat. So she got some of the wheat out of the bag, boiled the wheat, mixed it with leftover chopped liver And I think maybe a quarter can of crushed pineapple. I can't remember if the pineapple was part of that or something else. But I remember that it was, um, what's the word? Really disgusting. (laughs) Uh, But we were glad to have food. We got a quarter cup of milk a day and liver and boiled wheat casserole. And that's what we lived on for several days. Eventually, we got food. And eventually, we got some more milk, and things worked out. Dad tried really, really hard to take care of all of us. But it was a challenge. I know some of you are in the same boat. That same year, I was invited to go with a scout group, along with my brother and my dad, on a winter campout. Now, I'd ever, never been on a winter campout before, and I was a little worried about it, because winter sounds cold. This was in Utah, and we were somewhere up one of the many canyons near BYU. And those things get really icy in the winter. I don't know how far away we were. I don't know which canyon it was. But I remember that as we hiked along, we came across frozen waterfalls, frozen streams. It was like a wonderland, except that I wondered if my feet would come off. The only money we had for boots was for some, we call them milking boots thin rubber boots that you buy at often farm supply stores and some old surplus uh, red wool socks. I remember that they were red and scratchy and itchy. We put those socks on. I think we put on two pairs apiece and those boots and prayed that our feet would make it. It was freezing cold. We thought our toes were going to fall off. That night, while everybody climbed into their tents, Dad and my brother Brian and I climbed into the ice burrito. Uh, It wasn't, wasn't really an ice burrito. What we did was get all the bedding we could from the house and a large tarp. Dad laid the tarp on the ground. We put the bedding on and then we folded the whole thing over the three of us laying side by side and nestled together as closely as we could with that tarp and those layers of bedding above and below us and waited for morning. We actually got some sleep. But it was chilly. I remember the games. I remember the campouts. I remember the winter camp. I remember being really concerned when I found a girl that I thought, you know, I really should marry her. But I was working at a dairy for $5 an hour. Now, I thought that was good money because we got free milk and I liked milk, but it was really horrible. And I was really concerned. I said, Dad, if I ask her to marry me, and we move to a house or an apartment or something together, we won't have enough to live on. Dad said, well, how much are you making a month? And I told him, and he grabbed a pencil now. Remember, we lived in the log home that we had built and he was prone to writing on the walls because you could just erase it. So he grabbed a pencil and started writing on the wall. This much for housing, this much if it was student housing, this much for food, we got the free milk. They would give us a couple of hundred pounds of wheat so we could make, you know, porridge in the morning. And he came down, I think the total came to $4 less than my monthly income. And we could actually do it. We could actually live. He expressed great confidence in me. He would always say, It's no sweat, Nath. The Lord makes things work out. It's no sweat, Nath. You can make it happen. It's no sweat, Nath. You can pass that class. It's no sweat, Nath, and so on. After we got married, Dad chipped in whenever he could and very quietly and very discreetly helped us out every once in a while. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that help because I know the nature and depth of the sacrifice. It wasn't any large amount of money or any large amount of time, but it was a sacrifice and I knew it. Of all the memories I have, the games, the farming, the house building, seeing the coyotes after they got in and killed 120 of our chickens, all of these memories of driving the tractor while we hauled hay during the summer, and feeling so grown up when at eight years old I could drive the tractor smoothly enough that he and grandpa and my uncles could throw the hay on the wagon, and I didn't topple the wagon or the hay or the grandpa, the dad and the uncles. But of all the experiences I remember most, of all the things that just stick in my head, there are two things. One is the phrase, this is really living. When we would get tired and when we'd worked hard at the end of a week or at the end of a month, Dad would very often surprise us all by saying, okay, be in the car in one hour, we're going fishing. We'd gather our stuff up, finish whatever we were Feeding or watering or doing, and we'd all hop in the car and head up into the mountains of Idaho to go fishing. Now, back then, there were fish in the mountains of Idaho because there weren't so many people. Now there's a lot of people and not so many fish. We had it really good. But when we would get up there and get to the tree line and smell the pines and hear the rush of the water, Dad would take a deep breath and say, Man, this is really living. And he meant it. But what was even more poignant and more powerful and more memorable was at night. We didn't have a tent. Instead, we would lay down a tarp, put our sleeping bags on top, and then while we laid there, we would look up at the stars. Dad would talk to us about how much he loved us, he would talk to us about eternity. He would look at the stars up above, so bright and so clear, and there with the trees around us pointing to the night sky. He would talk about what happened if we could imagine floating through the universe and then we came to a wall or an end. What would be on the other side? He would say, you can't imagine eternity, but God can. You can't imagine endless love, but I can, and God can. You can't imagine what families can become, but that's what we're going to do. That's the kind of family we want to be. We would ask him questions and talk about all kinds of things, but always the conversation would end with a discussion about eternity and families, and love, and what was most important. From that, I learned that love matters, and that people matter most. And so, to my friends, on this one-year anniversary, I'll tell you, I love you. And if my dad knew you, he would love you. And some he does already. People really do matter most. The money, the car, the occupation, the professional achievements, the times when you were struggling and the times when you were not, the times when people got frustrated with each other and the times they did not, the times when you were afraid and the times when you were exhilarated, all of those roll together in a lifetime of learning and a lifetime of love. My greatest gift to you would be to love you. Your greatest gift to your children, your spouse, your parents, your coworkers, and to the world is to love people. Build relationships above everything else. As you build your portfolio, build people. As you build your business, build people. As you build your home, build the people. People matter most. We'll talk again soon.